How much thought do you put into making your donor communications fun, creative, and delighting for the amazing humans that support your cause? Creating donor communications that stand out and break a pattern could make all the difference for your fundraising results. But how can you do that? We'll get into that right now. You're listening to the Build Good Fundraising Podcast, where we give smart fundraisers like you the practical guidance to grow your revenue, grow your nonprofit, and grow your impact so you can raise more money for more donors and do more good. Now, here's your host, Mike Dirksen. Well, hello, builders of good. Thank you for tuning in to the Build Good Fundraising Podcast. Fundraising isn't easy but it should be simple. So on this show, we take the mystery out of raising money. What does a person get when they make a gift to charity? Well, most of the time, they're not buying a product or service. They're buying a story about the kind of person they are. And what they get in return is the way you treat them and communicate with them and update them. So Isn't it our duty as fundraisers to put a lot of thought and care into our donor communications? Don't we owe it to our community of supporters and the people we serve to actually draw people closer to the work and treat them like they're an important part of the team? Now, today's guest just released a book to help fundraisers create sharp and surprising donor communications that do a much better job of raising money and retaining supporters. The book is called Creative Deviations, and John Lepp is a direct response, marketing, and graphic design expert with 25 years of experience working with charities around the world to help them tell better stories and to inspire donors to give both online and offline. I learn something new every time I talk to John, so I think you're going to love this episode. So let's just get right into it. Here's my conversation with John Lepp. John, I'm so happy to have you back on the podcast your second time around because uh, A, I know this is going to be a super valuable conversation for listeners, but B, I just enjoy hanging out with you. So I'll take this opportunity to just uh, to just learn from you. So thank you for coming back to the pod. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you for having me so much. I appreciate it. You've spent the last year birthing a book, writing it, editing it, designing it, getting doing the whole process of, of what goes into writing a book. It's called Creative Deviations, how you can infuse your storytelling, fundraising, and direct response with more creativity. And the way um, I, I see it, it, it's basically this field guide that you've created full of examples on how organizations can make their fundraising communications worthy of their donors' attention uh, and time and and response. And I've, I've had a chance to read an, an early copy. John, I'll be, I'll be buying this book for, uh, for our teams and, and our clients. So um, thank you for writing it, first of all. Uh, massive gratitude from my end to have this resource. Thank you, Mike. That's, uh, that's super, super nice. I, I mean, you know, when I started it, I was, the question is, do we need this book? Does the sector need this book? And I, I, I tell the story that, you know, I remember sitting on a dock and looking at asking a book called Asking Properly from George Smith back from 1995 or something and realizing how, how much that book influenced my whole career and thought about all the things I've learned from all the people um, that have taught me and realized there's not really been a book like that for a sector for a long time. And like I said, with some support of a couple uh, folks, um, I, I, I thought it was it was a good idea. It was now was time if I was ever going to do it, why not do it now? So 
It was, it was awesome. It was such an interesting experience. I had no idea what I was getting into when I started at all. Well, the book is full of creative deviations, and let's let's start there. W- what is a creative deviation? Well, the idea, the principle is that sometimes, and George used to call it pioneering. Sometimes the merest or the most minor pioneering can lead to really interesting things. And so, through our whole career, I mean, Jen and I, people have said to us, "You guys are so innovative in your work," and which to me and to lots of us, innovative is actually a bad word in our sector. I'm like, I don't want to be innovative because yeah. I'm actually not being innovative. I'm actually just leaning into uh, good direct marketing. I'm leaning into uh, interesting creative that makes people just think for a second and and take some action. So we're not doing anything innovative. I'm just leaning on all the basic principles, all the fundamentals of all the things that have to go into uh, individual giving and and direct response. Well, you've got 12 deviations that you've outlined in the book, um, plus a bonus one. So so there's 13. Like all good direct response, there's a bonus, right? Um, We're going to focus on four of them today. But I highly recommend um, the folks listening to this podcast to go out and and buy the book. Uh, It's it's worthy of your time and attention. It's one of those books that I really think you should have on your bookshelf if you're working in fundraising and individual giving. So let's start um, with this deviation. And I want to start here for a reason. And it's a deviation that you've titled Forget About Your Logo. What's this deviation all about? It's uh, at the risk of, so right off the top, Mike, you want to get all the marketing people fired up, which is totally fine. Um, you know, th- through the through my career, I've worked with lots of organizations of every di- different shape and size and stuff. And there's so much emphasis put on this idea of branding, mostly through the, I would say through the last, what, 15 or 20 years through the, through the late nineties and stuff, really, we started to become focused on that less so than good storytelling or actually acknowledging that the work of, of donors, again, it's ever evolving after shifting thing. And so the, the, the principle is at the end of the day, donors usually are not giving to you because of your logo, how it looks, uh, how your materials look. Those are not the things that they are using as motivation to give to your appeals. And we, again, organizationally, we've we've lost our way now. We've got we've created a place where we left no space in the, our stories for donors. Our story is so bubble wrapped tight because of our brand and all the things we stand for and blah blah blah. That again, donors are isolated, and and for some of the some organizations, we completely it's like we don't even acknowledge they're even there. We're just sending something because we're such and such an organization. You should give to it. The end. Well, that's not that's not how this this works. And then we go our way and blame it on our donors for not giving so that they're fatigued or they're tired or whatever. No, again, we yeah. so good at doing all these things and just keeping ourselves. It's branding. Like I said, I, I think it is is like this um, safety spot. It's like we we just want to protect ourselves from being vulnerable and emotional uh, and therefore being judged. And branding is one way to do that. It makes us look all things professional and positive. And that's just not real life. doesn't make any sense. Not in our sector, I don't think. Right. And the subtext to the donor then is, I guess I'm not needed, right? Like, good good for you. You seem to have it all together. Um, I, I guess I'm not needed. It can be. I mean, again, if you talk to some of the big organizations in our country, right, where they're, they're doing okay, they know what they're doing. They're still fundraising. They're making lots of money. I just think that there there's room for us to make sure we're leaving a spot at the table for, for the donors' participation. I think they could be doing even more. Our sector, is, as you know, Mark Phillips talks about all the time, really hasn't really grown that much in the 
last 20, last generation, it's not really grown that much. We're just doing a little bit better every single year. And I just wonder if we start to change some of these conversations. And this book really focuses on all the things we can be doing, the obsessiveness over this work that I think will really, and it has for the organizations we do work with, has revolutionized the work they're doing and how they go about it because they are making space for donors to be a part, an active partner in that that work. Not at all costs, not to, to lead all the conversations, but they are a partner. They're a piece of the puzzle. Right. We also place this enormous amount of weight on the visual brand because we think that that is our brand. It's the way the logo looks or the way the colors are or whatever, the way our brochures look, how, how we painted the building, whatever it is. We think that that is our brand. Now, I've surely it contributes to who we are, um, but it's such a small piece of our brand, right? Because what what is your brand at the end of the day? It's it's kind of like how people think of you. Exactly, exactly, and that, that's and that's a hard thing to control, which again makes it again at the very beginning of the book. I talk about the book is not full of stats. It's not full of like you know data because again we we lean into that as a sector we lean in like where is the data where are the, what's the ROI yeah. doing this sort of thing we're we're lost the uh, the feel of the feelings of what we're doing do you know what I mean like that kind of like real life Mike as you know is about feelings you know you and I have conversations we share our values and emotions with one another through our conversations we either tend to start liking each other more or liking each other less depending on who we are um, but that's how we actually grow with with people around us and organizationally we we just leave all that aside people are afraid of of that stuff but it at the end of the day it is how donors perceive you and some some charities I've seen instances where donors are not even not even reading anything. They're basically getting an envelope, taking out the BRE, putting a check in and putting it back in the mail. They're not going to read anything because they just know, well, they're a food bank and I know people around me need food. So that's all I need to know. So that's right. a strong, that's a strong brand, you know, but again, it's the strong, it's the brand of the food bank, not the daily bread food bank or, you know, such and such. It's just, I know what a food bank is and therefore I know why I want to give to it. So it's how they feel about this thing that exists. And, and, uh, and again, not about the, the visualness or colors. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just even think back in like our personal relationships, if we had friends who were always really put together, who never asked for help, um, they all had everything like going on in life. Um, we might go like, you know, it seems like they've got it all figured out. Um, but man, if your best friend moved and they didn't ask you to help and you find out later, or if your best friend was sick and they didn't let you know, um, you'd be like, I would have loved to help you out, man. <laughs> Dude, why, are you, why are you keeping me out of your life? And I share this as well. Ken Burnett said something to me a long time ago, which was, you know, 80% of this work is common sense. And so often, and I say to my clients, you know, if you, if you think about our work as you do with the relationships in your normal life and transfer a lot of this, this analogy that we're using here to the work you're doing, we would be f way better off, way better off. But again, for various reasons, because of, there's a lot of people in our sector who've come from other sectors, the commercial sector, who just are not, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, uh, I, there are a lot of people working here that shouldn't be shouldn't be amongst us uh, because they just don't trust it. They don't trust it. But again, like I said at the beginning, I don't, I'm not going to spend time trying to convince someone that anything I'm talking about um, makes sense or not. I know it works because it's worked my whole career. So um, we just need to get back to actually remember we're talking to these human beings we call donors and they want to help at the end of the day, they just want to help us. So why don't we just let them help us while we get away with that? 
So forget about the logo. It's not about the logo. Got it. Um, so what is it about in terms of um, if you're a communication sort of coordinator, you're a marketing person, you're, you're helping fundraising because um, you're sort of on the same team and you're tasked with, you know, creating these donor communications pieces and you do, you are overseeing design or you are the person designing it. Um, so you're saying, okay, it's not about the logo necessarily. It's not about being so polished. It's not necessarily about staying on brand at all times. Um, so give us a bit of a framework for for what good design in fundraising is about. Um, to me, good design is design that works. And so you have to consider what works from the very, very get-go. From the moment that that donor walks through their mailbox and sticks their hand in, that's the moment it has to start working. And I mean, I, again, doing a lot of coaching, people send me over the letters. I'm like, well, where's the rest of the piece? Like, where's everything else? And there's no thoughtfulness or consideration given anything other than the letter. And every little bit of this process matters. And I joke with people, the first, the original first creative aviation was envelopes. Chapter one was about envelopes. And I was like, it's so, I mean, you saw, it's so nerdy and obsessive because with envelopes, you have to be, there's a lot of things at Playa and you've, you've put information on LinkedIn about, I know you've played with that, those ideas a lot too. I mean, there are a lot of things that play with an outer envelope, you know, but I have to consider how the outer envelope works in the hands of the donors all the way through to the piece, every piece they hold to what I want them to look at, to what I want them to do with it. There are all little decisions that have to happen through that whole process. And that is, takes a level again of obsessiveness and nerdiness that I don't know a lot of people have an appetite for, but at least something like this, a book like this brings all those things together. It kind of reminds you of all these things that do come into play. It's all, it's all design and you have to think of it as it all has to be designed together. Yeah. The outer envelope to me, at least is the scariest part because it doesn't matter how good the rest of the piece is. You know, a client is trusting you with putting 25,000 letters in the mail as a lot of pressure on the outer envelope. I mean, it's a lot of pressure on the subject line of the, of the email. That's the outer envelope too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So design for donors is design that works, which, which means that you think about every piece and how will a donor interact with this piece. And you are talking about every single little piece from the outer envelope to um, the tiniest sort of piece on the reply device to what the number nine BRE looks like. Right. Every single piece, every single piece has to be considered how it, how it works with the other piece. And at the end of the day, good design is only good design if it's effective. So again, I do, I tell people a lot, there's lots of things I do in the design of the actual graphic design of work that I don't really care for. don't really like a lot of people I've cut to colleagues tell me it's ugly or it's too simple. And there's a there's a lack of I don't know what it is it's like this fear that something doesn't look as good as it's supposed to. And again, this is adopted from the commercial sector. Everything in our world, as we all know, every person listening to this podcast, everything around us is perfect all the time. Everything yeah. looks beautiful. Everything is centered perfectly. Everything is we're surrounded by perfection. So I go in my way to make things imperfect because that's that actually works now. And I people are not comfortable with this, you know, like, because that, that that's the whole point. If you have to, you start to get stand out, you start to get someone's attention and stuff like that. So if you go to your way to make things look ugly for lack of a better word, that's really effective. That's effective design because it'll raise you a lot of money. I don't care if you don't like it. It's like branding and marketing comm teams. Like 
God, I've been arrested by the branding police so many times in my career because I did something <laughs> that was outside of their bylaws. But I'm like, I don't hear for them. Yeah. I'm not interested in this discussion because I what I do has to make money. What you have to do just has to look nice. And why are you having any say at all in the work that I'm that I'm I think you've just lost probably half of your podcast listeners just by me talking about this, but you feel me? Like, it's like, we, I don't know where our priorities are sometimes. It just really boggles my, boggles my mind, but I have to check my own subjectivity in a lot of my work because there's no room for it. It doesn't matter what I think. I wonder if, if part of that is just thinking is almost like a personal fear of failure. Like if this doesn't look good, that will reflect badly on me because I don't want my other designer friends to see this and be like, this is what you're working on. <laughs> um, or if we just, if we hide behind it, like you said, because we feel like if it's not polished and professional, then surely we won't be perceived as being polished and professional. Whatever that means. Certainly I've been judged a lot as a designer, uh, by designer friends for this, this work and stuff, but I'm like, you know what? It takes a remarkable amount of work to be this good to make things look this bad. And it's not bad because it raises tons of money. So what the fuck? Do you know what I mean? Like it's not, that's not bad to me. Cause isn't it, if we're, if we're designers or we're marketers or whatever we're doing or advertisers in the day is to probably make money for some reason. And if that's the, if that's the goalpost, then what does it matter how, what the product is that allows you to do that? You know? Yeah. But I don't know. It's again, I just think we've kind of gone a bit bass backwards in this sector for on lots of kinds of things. And this one really just obviously, I mean, the, been doing it for 25 years so it does obviously get get me but it just drives yeah. me crazy some of the decision making that happens and i don't understand why yeah all right so that's the first deviation that that um that we're going to get into the second one we're going to get into is storytelling is dead storytelling is dead why is storytelling dead or what do you mean by this so every 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 single conference you go to everything you listen to tells you it's all about the story you need a great story we can't do this without having a story. Find the story. Here's how you find stories. And Jen hates me. My Jen, my business partner, hates me for, for this. Um, but at the end of the day, a story only is a small part of what makes, makes up for a successful appeal. Um, indirect marketing, the most important element, success or failure of your piece is your list. It's nothing to do with the story. That's just the freaking people you're talking to. And if you get that wrong... 50% of the success failure relies on that. Second, most important thing is the offer. What are you asking me for? Why should I care about this right now? Those two elements make up what 70, 80% of the success or failure piece. You don't need a, you don't need stories. You need to have something to ask your donors for. And hopefully, if you've done a good job, they'll care that you're asking for it. Yeah. And the story serves the offer, right? Yeah, it definitely shows you how it shows the offer and how why why you're asking for this. It shows the importance of it. But again, good appeals don't even need a story. I mean, certainly through the years, done lots of appeals that have no story at all because it's so clearly articulated what the need was and why it was important. You don't always need a story to do that. So again, a classic, I love this example, classic direct response offer is give us seven dollars now or the dog gets it. And the reason why that's a classic direct response offer is because it's clear what the problem is, which is the dog's going to get it. It's clear what we need you to do, which is give us $7 now. It has that urgency. So it has all the elements of a very good, very good offer. But again, I see lots of appeals that have no offer. Don't ask for anything. And no one, and people don't realize what's well, not raising any money. We didn't actually ask for anything. You told a great story. 
but I don't know what does you want from me. So every appeal, every everything you do, every time you reach out to donors for any help, you need to have a good offer and you need to how to craft a good offer. And that takes a little bit of work. So I ask people, you know, think about what is your what is your dog? Every organization has a dog. What is your dog? And how much money does do I have to give to make sure I save that dog? You need to answer that question in every single appeal. Well, it's time now for the five-minute fundraising fix, where we give you one easy, short, impactful fundraising fix you can implement in your fundraising today. And joining me as always is Becky Longhurst, a fundraising strategist at BuildGood. Becky, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Mike. Happy to be here. What is the fundraising fix for the week? So today we're going to be talking about creating a specific, and when I say specific, I mean specific landing page for each appeal. A landing page. What is a landing page? So a landing page is kind of like your donation page. So when you want donors to give to you, you want to create a page where they can go, put in their credit card information, choose a giving option and donate to a specific ask. All right. So this is different than the main donation page. When somebody goes to your homepage, they click donate on the top right or whatever. They they get taken to your donation page. This is different? This is different. We'd like it to be different at least because, you know, where needed most donations are important and that's what that main donation page is for. But when we're asking for something specific from donors, we want to make sure that there's also a specific place that they can go to give to that ask because it, it touches something within them. They want to be able to help you out with what you're asking for. All right. So, So why is this important? Well, first of all, it's important for continuity's sake. So the donor isn't confused. The last thing we want to do is confuse our donors, right? right? So we've sent them a letter with a specific offer. Let's say helping save animals, uh, making sure they get into good homes. So they read about that offer. Well, that offer should be what's then presented to them online. If they go to your website and if they see give today to our organization to do any one of these wonderful things, well, they're going to be confused. You were just asking me to give to help animals find a nice home. Where can I give to that? Right. And that's important because in the whole appeal process from the beginning right to the end donation, we are trying to lead donors towards making a specific gift. All of our strategy is focused around that. And that journey needs to make sense. You're taking them to a final destination. Here at the podcast, we really enjoy Donald Miller. And Donald Miller has a great quote for this, Mike. He says, if you confuse, you lose. Right. And it's true. Your moment with that donor is so precious. And if they get confused, especially if they're older and if tech isn't super easy for them anyways, they're probably just going to give up before finding yeah. where they can put in that donation that you want. So if we're sending a direct mail appeal letter, yep. would we give them a specific URL that is like very specific to that campaign? Or, or how do we make sure donors land on that page? Exactly. Yeah, you got it. A specific URL is exactly what you want to do. So that would be as simple as doing something like your URL slash rescue animals. 
it needs to be different from any other URLs that you've used in the past. Or if it's similar, then you need to make sure you're updating that page with the content that you just sent out to donors. So everything needs to be updated. But yeah, you just slap that on your reply device, URL slash rescue animals, and the donors will know where to go. Right. And, And your emails and your online ads, it's all sending them to the same page that has the same offer. That the email or the ad was about. Exactly. Remember, continuity. You don't want to confuse the donors. You want to make it as easy as possible for them to give to what you're asking for. All right. Now, how about if I have a main donation page and I'm using some sort of software that will integrate the giving form and I have an option to create drop-down menus. Can I still send them to my main donation page and in the drop-down menu of where they're giving to, can I just plop my campaign in there so it's one of the options? Now, don't hate me, Mike, because I know that's easier for many organizations out there, but the answer is no, because it's the same rule of thumb. Too many options are going to lead to confusion, right? And so all it would take would be two seconds of a donor clicking that drop-down menu, seeing your 10 to 15 different options, Maybe they can't find the one they're looking for. Maybe it's not clear enough. Maybe they get distracted by other giving options that you aren't focused on right now. So if you're asking the donor to help with Project X, you don't want to confuse them with options for projects A, B, C, or D. As important as they may be, that's not why the donor's here right now. So drop-down menus aren't what we want, especially because it's so easy nowadays to build separate landing pages. Yeah. So you really have no reason not to. Yeah. And the um, the drop-down adds a bit of friction as well. And you are assuming that the donor will get to the drop-down. If you're sending them to, their, to your main donation page, especially if you're an organization that has a lot going on, right? You've got lots of different projects. Your main donation page is likely some sort of umbrella page that has some a generic messaging about about the most about your general story the most important thing you do but it's not specific to your campaigns um okay so great we're going to build a separate landing page for each appeal the page will be only about the offer in the appeal or the media or, or the email or the social media ad and is there an added benefit here you guessed it there is an added benefit <laughs> now Another benefit that's really awesome about these landing pages is that they actually help you track donations that come in for that specific ask, which is really important. If you're asking for something maybe you've never tried before, or you want to see difference in results from last year to this year, a new landing page is going to help you do that. You'll be able to look back at how your campaign did, and this allows you to create reasonable expectations of results. It helps you for next year and all the years after that. So there are so so, so, so many benefits to creating a separate landing page. And you know what I would even, I would encourage everyone to think of it as an expression of donor care, right? We're making it easier for donors to exercise their best selves and to make that positive impact and to help out your organization. Yeah, fantastic. And it also helps you track the traffic that goes to that specific landing page. It gives you a much clearer picture of conversion rate from your emails because a lot of different people go to your main donation page that may or may not come from your emails. Totally. That, that may or may not come from your campaign. Yeah. So this gives you a clear picture, allows you to track everything better, and it's better for the donor. 
Well, great tip. Thank you, Becky. You're going to be back next podcast episode you know I will. with another five minute fundraising fix. Now, if you want to create fundraising copywriting that moves donors to action, we have a free video mini course. It's three short videos. They're all about changing the words you use in your fundraising. It's at 5minutefundraisingfix.com. You can spell out five or you can use the number five, 5minutefundraisingfix.com. Changing the words you use is free. That's the great news. It costs you nothing and it has the highest impact. Cost you nothing. Neither does the short course at 5minutefundraisingfix.com. One of the uh, one of the famous sort of appeals in our sector is make a blind man see ten pounds, um, mm-hmm. which is um, hanging up in my office. But the most successful appeal we ever ran did not have the story. Now it followed sort of a story format in that there's a problem, there's consequences of that problem not being solved. The stakes are high. Um, there is a solution, but it needs to, you know uh, the, the donor needs to help with that solution. Mm-hmm. Um, there there is. There is a desired future state, what this could look like, but the story is completely unresolved. So it follows a story format. And I was just as a bit of a, a bit of a side note. I was just rereading Aristotle's poetics. Um, and it just struck me how none of that has changed in hundreds of years. Um, it's all just the same, right? It's like a character wants something, but there's like a giant problem they have to overcome. And they either get some help in overcoming it and it's a comedy or they don't and they like die and it's a tragedy. Um, and that's sort of the essence of it. Um, and we get to help donors solve problems, which I think is a very noble and, and um, privileged position to be in. Like we actually get to help our donors solve problems in the world that they care about. Mm-hmm. Um, so why would, we, why would we get in the way of that? Yeah, again, that's a, that's a very big topic that astounds me to, to no end. Um, I don't think you talk about reply forms, or we're not going to talk about reply forms, but they're a good case in point of us getting in the way all over the place of letting our donors help us fix problems. And I don't understand why. I don't understand why people don't understand that that's what you're doing when you have a thousand checkboxes on your reply forms. Right. So I'm being a little facetious here, but if I'm hearing you correctly, um, if you just tell a good story, that doesn't mean you're going to raise a lot of money. I think that's relatively safe because even if you and I sat down for a coffee and I told you a really amazing story and I need your help, but I just never said, by the way, this is why I'm talking, telling you this story. Then guess what? You're not going to do me like that's a great coffee and off you go. Yep. So that's what awareness campaigns do. It's like they kind of tell a story, but don't get around for asking you for anything. And that's why people are like, wow, the awareness campaign didn't raise the same money. Wow. I don't know why. You got donors aware, maybe, but no, you didn't ask them to do anything. So guess what? They didn't do anything. Yeah. You know. Deviation number three that we're going to talk about is more is more. Get into this a little bit. This just means, this means what it means. It's more is more. Like, like include more stuff in your fundraising appeals. Um, but, but let's talk about this a little bit. What is the more stuff and what is the right kind of more stuff? Uh, the right kind of more stuff is what, so a couple of things, first of all, people think less is more, especially as it comes to a direct response, uh, looking through my mother-in-law's mail for 20 years has taught me that everyone thinks a perfect direct mail piece is a number 10 envelope, an eight and a half by 11, 11 and a half by 14 letter reply form and a BRE. Um, and I'm telling you that it's not, that's less, uh, but the more you put into the pack, the more, the better it's going to perform. 
uh, the more money you'll raise. If you don't believe me, that's fine. I know it to be true because I test these things. We try these things. We look at people like Mark Phillips or Sean Triner has tried these things over and over again. But the, what the right more thing is, is anything that adds to the case of what you're asking for. It's back to, that, to coming back to the offer. If you can add another piece that tells another bit of the story that maybe uses a different part of my brain as a human, um, it makes me feel more like I understand the issue in a totally different way. So we'll do different pieces that are a little more visual in their, their delivery. Um, maybe it's only a visual, maybe has lots of stats on it. So again, all these things add to the overall uh, overall case. Do you want to do a mailing with 12 inserts to every single one of your donors? No, that's cost prohibitive. Um, but again, the sector really talks about strategically how do you use this information and the truth of this to do better, better, more effective. Fund- Whenever I say better, I mean more effective. Raises you more money, fundraising. And adding more pieces into your appeal pretty much always makes you raise more money. Let's talk a little bit more about what some of those additional pieces might be. So what kind of lift notes, what kind of involvement devices, what kind of stuff can we include? What is some common stuff um, where we can start, you know, somebody's listening to this, there's like, okay, that makes sense, like include stuff that's more visual. But what do you mean? Um, maps, charts, graphs, pictures. What are we talking Keep about? Keep going, Mike. You, everything so far you've mentioned, anything you could think of, I've done everything. I've done bumper stickers, postcards, bookmarks, ornaments, photographs, um, newspaper articles, uh, buttons, stickers, like you name it. it. Everything counts. If it's thought of and utilized creatively, this is where you really can get your creative on in terms of adding things into the pack. You know, um, there, there's no there's no definitive list. There's there's um, there are, nowhere in this book do I give you a checklist of things to, that if you do, you will be off to the races because it's just not like that. This is a craft. This is a chance to be creative. And so yes, I know people like Jen Love and Sean Trainer absolutely love maps. Uh, always constantly trying to think how can we add. You can add a map to any appeal you ever do. If you can't figure that out, that just means you're not creative enough. So, and that's true of a, of a lot of things. You can always add a photograph to a mailing. Again, if you can't think of photograph, then you're not being creative enough. So again, th- these things can make a can make a difference. The cool thing also is you can test them. You can try them. But I'm telling you, if it's, if it's appropriate to add a photograph of the mission in action, a child uh, at camp who's bursting a bubble and laughing with her friend, that has a lot more impact on me as a donor than your four-page letter. Well, that might be the perfect insert or extra piece for for your appeal. So it really just depends on what is you're asking for in the appeal. What else can I add that will help move my donor, help them make that decision? And sometimes the thing you come up with could be even more effective than the letter uh, that we put so much emphasis on because most letters are not very good. They're, they're written by people who are very robotic, don't know how to write good appeal letters. And uh, again, it's sometimes has little to do with donors making the decision to give or not. And it's the basic truth of truth of this, of our work. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a bit of a, I wouldn't call it a failure, but, but we worked with a, with a charity that worked with adults with disabilities. And as part of their crafts group, we have, we had to make Christmas ornaments out of clay. And then we included them in the holiday mailing. Now these are kind of thickish sort of clay ornaments and about half of them just ripped the envelopes open and donors got like a ripped open envelope and the ornament there's somewhere in Canada Post in their sorting facility, <laughs> and um, and Canada Post called the printer and they said, "Listen, these guys, you got to tell them never to do this again because um, it caused a bit of a 
bit of a situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> great idea in theory. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So more is more. So the last deviation that, that we're going to talk about is it's all the small things. Um, help us understand this a little bit. It's like real life. People are like, what's the thing I can fix here to make this better? Or what, what was the thing that happened that made us all go wrong? It's just like relationships. It's never, it's never a big thing that allows you to fix everything or, or blows it all up. It's a whole bunch of little things that on their own are dismissed. They don't even look like I was reading a story the other day about relationships, you know, and, and this couple had broken up, their marriage had broken up. And one of the things he talked about was how he leave a cup beside the sink after he was done drinking out, the dishwasher was right there. And his wife has said, you know, this is shitty. You leave your cup there and you could just put it in the dishwasher. And he's like, what's the big deal? I could use it again or something like that. And he really pinpointed that was a really key essential thing that led to the breakup of his marriage because it was important to her. So I don't want, don't get too far away from more, the question, but in our work, we have those, those cups. We have these things that do have impact on success or failure of our piece. So I'm clear there's no magic bullets in our work. If you're looking for the, if you have a consultant or an agency or anyone telling you that this is, you do this one thing, it's going to change everything. They're lying to you. It's wrong because it's about all the little things we need to do all the time. And think about that actually add up to something quite remarkable, especially it relates to uh, unique experiences for donors. So I talk paper clips is a classic one. I talk about using paper clips. I know you have two in mailings. It seems like a small thing to dismiss. What's the power of a paperclip? I don't understand. Well, when you put a paperclip on things, first of all, computers don't use paperclips. Uh, they don't like paperclips because it messes everything up. They don't have the dexterity to use paperclips. So when you use a paperclip, first and foremost, it suggests that a human being put it together. Again, small things, but donors like, wow, someone actually made this for me. Donors like to believe that human beings are Sister Mary is a real person writing letters. We know Sister Mary is not necessarily a real person, but to your donor, she is. And so you have to, this this stuff does make a make a big difference. So the whole sector just talks about all these little things that again by by themselves stamps on an angle. Why do we need to talk about first class stamps and why putting them on an angle is truly revolutionary fundraising in 2022? It's mind blowing, but uh, here we are talking about these things. It does make a difference, and I know why it makes a difference because it just just someone. Wow, a computer would never put anything on an angle. So this must uh, someone put this together for me. And I lean into yeah. the idea: the more human something looks, humans are not perfect. So the more imperfect I can make things look in every way, shape, and form, then the more effective it's going to be. Always is. It's never never stopped. Yeah. Yeah, a human made this for me. Somebody made this for me. And the funny thing is, is that we are so obsessed with automations and with we're look, we've looked at the commercial sector and we've tried to replicate a lot of that. And in the meantime, the commercial sector is starting to go, how can we be more human? How can we be more one-on-one? -on -one? How can we have those messier relationships that are imperfect and unpredictable? And meanwhile, we're 10 years behind still trying to catch up with what happened in the early 2000s. Yeah. And I don't, I, I understand where it comes from and I understand why it's happening, but automation usually just people in their brain still means I'm making more money because things are cheaper. That's, that's a race to, that's a race I'm not interested in playing a part of. I'm not here to, you know, even from a business point of view, I've never really been concerned about, you know, that money part of making decisions based on money. But when you get into that game of, well, the faster this can be, the more automated this process can be, the more it will make you're, you're in bad shape, man. You're in bad shape. I'm not, I don't think anyone's interested in an automated relationship. 
you know? And so I don't know why we're so fixated on cheaper, faster, not even better. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you run into this all the time. Um, the colleagues in our sector, um, very digital forward thinking colleagues who I really appreciate, but often sort of talk about direct mail as being analog and then digital fundraising as being like, you know, more technical. And anybody who's done direct mail knows that it's a lot more technical than digital fundraising. Um, like you said, the thousand little things that go into making every work, everything work takes a lot more attention to detail, thought, care, love, as you point out all the time. Um, it is, it is a, a labor of, of love. It is a craft um, that that you have to work at every day, um, and I appreciate that that you are one of the guides along the way who are sort of lighting the way and and showing us, pointing us in the right direction. Um, so thanks for man, thanks for taking the time to come on. Um, we ask every guest on the show if they've got just a, a piece of advice for for people who are listening to this, a word of encouragement for all the people who are doing the hard work of of building good in our world day in and day out. Good. That's a good one. I like that. That's a good thread. Um, you know, the, the, the piece of advice is that you lean into the fundamentals. There's, there's nothing in this book that, that is my idea. Uh, this is a, just a catalog of ideas and things that have been around us for a long time. But I think it's from a sector point of view, we've just lost touch with just some of these key, key things that make a big, big difference in our work. And again, I, I come across as a little too direct and a little too harsh sometimes. And I really don't mean to be, I apologize for that. I mean, we have lots of friends and colleagues who are busting their balls every single day. And I'm so grateful for them for doing that work. And I'm just here to help them in whatever way I can, but also have a certain level of urgency. You know, again, this book George wrote 25 years ago and people still aren't doing these key fundamental things that he was talking about wrong back then. And just, we're just getting in the way of ourselves. So Take the time to learn the fundamentals. Make sure your boss gets a chance to learn the fundamentals. Um, thanks for fighting the good fight every single day because I know that you are. And uh, I, I, it, this comes from a place of help. I really want us to get uh, collectively better as quickly as possible. Um, so uh, again, apologize for my directness in my book and in uh, my podcast, in this podcast, but um, that's, that's my objective. If people want to buy the book, or if they want to find you, know more about you, where, where can they go? Uh, if you go to agentsofgood.org slash creative, um, that will take you to the sign-up page, which will be morphing very soon to the page where you can either pre, pre-buy it or buy it. Um, we're still trying to figure out some of the kinks there, but it should be out. Uh, we're talking on April 25th, 2022. Um, I'm hoping to buy some time through May 2022. This book will be uh, out in the wild and available for people to um, pick up. And I look forward to hearing what people think about it. But so far, I've sent to a lot of normal fundraisers, people doing the hard work every single day. And the feedback is exactly what I hope, which is very useful. So that's that's amazing. Well, well, thanks for, for coming on the podcast and sharing with us. And uh, this is your second time around, but um, hopefully we can have you back another time. Appreciate it, Mike. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, that's all for today. I can't recommend John's book enough, Creative Deviations. It's a beautiful book full of examples that will spark your creativity. It's already acting as a reference guide for me and our team, and it's earned a permanent spot on my desk. I want to thank you for listening to the Build Good Fundraising Podcast brought to you by BuildGood.com. Thank you for hanging out with us around the fundraising campfire. If you're listening to this, 
You're my kind of people. I'm your kind of people. Thank you for the work you do. I'm your host, Mike Dirksen, cheering you on as you build good in the world. Thank you for listening to the Build Good Fundraising Podcast, powered by buildgood.com. As a company, we help nonprofits build a revenue engine from individual donors with direct response fundraising. And on this podcast, our mission is to help you grow your fundraising and grow your career. So if you find the podcast helpful, please consider rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for being a builder of good.